for those of you who follow Rose, I didn't post anything about it. Uh, for those of you who follow Rose on social media, you might have saw yesterday, believe it or not, that our youngest son, Alex, was married yesterday. <laughs> well, I had the privilege of performing Alex's marriage ceremony, and those of you who have been around and we've been around um, over the last eight years have watched Alex go from a boy to a man. And uh, Alex is only 18, and it's scary. And you might be asking yourself, what does an 18-year-old know about life, let alone know about marriage? And the answer to that is very little, and he knows. But I couldn't be a hypocrite. I found Rosa at 16. I married her at 19. And 26 years later, here we are. So I certainly couldn't be a hypocrite when my son says that he's found love and that he wants to make this young lady an honest woman and commit to her the rest of his days. And so I, you know, I, as I walked with him over the, he, he dropped this on me a month ago, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, as I walked with Rosa and I walked with him over the last few weeks, um, culminating in the ceremony yesterday, I watched as, you know, this idea of this um, marriage began to transform him and you know, I, I saw a certain confidence in him, in his decision. There was a certain, um, how do I put it, uh, a certain awareness of himself that he had, which was different. It was almost this transition that, man, my, my boy's really becoming a man. And, uh, but, but he knew who he was. He was confident in, in this sense of self, but more importantly, he knew the support that he was connected to. And thank goodness that the woman that he has chosen to be with the rest of his days, she too loves the Lord. But I also saw a shift even in this young lady, especially yesterday. And I reflected on this last night. So they stayed at a hotel yesterday. I wanted them because they're, they're going to stay with us for a while. And you know, I said, honey, you, know, you and your wife should have some quiet, private time to yourselves your first night of marriage. And so, but he's not old enough to get a hotel room. <laughs> you can marry, but you can't get a hotel room. So he booked it himself. But of course, we share the same name, so I just had to go and present my ID when we got to the hotel. And I left him for the evening. But as I drove home in last night, I, I thought about even after the young lady said, I do, she seemed to take on just this different swag about her, if you will. Like there was a certain level of, I'm Donato now. And, um, but, but it, it was a change because her name has changed and now there's a difference, there's a newness in her identity. There's a different claim to a new family that she's now been adopted into and brought into. And so, you know, as I reflected on that, I was actually preparing a message throughout the week that I was going to preach on. I was going to preach from Corinthians and you know, it was about building together in Christ. It was a message very connected to Pastor Daniel's sermon series that he's been doing, People Together with God. 
And the Lord called a last-minute football audible last night, which I had to be obedient to. And so I was, got to church a little later than I normally did this morning because I stayed up late yesterday and got up early this morning to pray and to work on this message. So I pray that this message this morning will bless you. But we're still on the topic and in the sermon series, and you'll see where we connect this, people together with God. You know, um, after taking some time to reflect on those things that I mentioned and those observations that I mentioned about my son and his confidence and his uh, who he is and the support that he has and, and my daughter-in-law's confidence now in her new identity and her new name, I couldn't help but read some passages in the text that I think will relate to that and bless you today. So today's message, I hope, will offer a reminder to some of you and perhaps inform others, if maybe you don't know this yet, about who you are in Christ, about your identity in Christ, and how your identity impacts how you are with God and how you are with people. Amen? Amen. And so that's what we want to spend our time, living out our identity in Christ. We're going to read one passage today, and we're going to, Im- we're going to unpack that one passage. That passage, and if you want to turn there, that's fine. We're going to read it probably quicker than you'll be able to open it. It's from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It's an opening greeting that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus. It's a simple greeting, one Paul uses very, very often in his epistles. But it's one unpacked that has great insight and revelation. So again, Ephesians, I'm going to read from the ESV. You probably have the NIV if you're reading from one of the Pew Bibles. Again, it's a very quick passage, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It reads this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. You might read past that as just a matter of fact, just some opening greeting that Paul always gives which has little significance, but oh, you would be wrong. And we're going to unpack this today. Again, we're talking about our identity in Christ. That's where we're going, how this identity, and I'm going to take you on a little journey, so I want you to just bear with me today, but how this identity in Christ impacts how we are with God and with people. So let's unpack this. Paul starts out by identifying himself. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but qualifies it. How is Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ? And he qualifies it by the will of God. That's important. Just the other day, honey, I think you were there, honey, in the room. Uh, We were in the dining room or the kitchen. And my daughter, I think maybe it might have been Friday. My daughter, she's sitting at the, in the island, and she's eating dinner, and I'm cranking away at our breakfast bar, and cranking away at some schoolwork, and she says, Dad, Jesus just texted me. I laughed. 
I knew just what she meant. She, she got an app notification from the Bible app. It was a verse of the day. And I think uh, it was um, Matthew 20, 28, I believe. And Matthew 20, 28, well, actually, I, I have it here. It says, even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so she and I were just chatting about that, and I said, Honey, let's hang on to that word for a second. Ransom. And I asked her some questions. I said, honey, what does it mean to pay a ransom? Who is a ransom paid for? Now, the reason I'm taking you down this, and I want you to see this, is because unless you have a starting point, a point of reference for your identity, you will take for granted who you are in Christ. So we need a reference point. So I said, honey, what does it mean to be ransomed? And she was, I'm not really sure, Dad. I can't really articulate it. She kind of had a concept. And I said, well, who's a ransom paid to? Someone who's taken someone, right? Or has someone prisoner or has someone captive, right? And I said, well, that's exactly right. And that's the point. Because every single one of us was in our past life, if you know Christ, we, we ourselves needed, were in need, or if you don't know Christ today fully, you are in need of being ransomed. You need someone to pay a price for you, a price that you yourself cannot pay. Because listen, beloved, we were once slaves. We were once lost and in darkness, we were abandoned, we were unknown, we were unloved, we were unlovable. This was our life. We had our identity in the creation and the temporal instead of he who is eternal and is the creator. This was who we were before Christ. This is who we were before we were ransomed by God. And so, but, but, but see this, because none of us deserved it. And you have to understand that, it, like Paul said, it was by the will of God, and not your own, that you have been ransomed. God peered into the annals of eternity to see you in your wretchedness, in your darkness, in your enslavement, in your captivity, and he said, I'm going to send my son to die and shed his perfect, spotless, holy blood so that you could be ransomed. This is what God did, and we must know that as our reference point if we're going to truly appreciate, embrace, and live out our identity in Christ. There's the next part of the text that I want to examine with you. In the second part of verse 1, Paul then identifies the believers, the followers of the way in Jesus. He identifies them by a unique word. Maybe not so unique depending on your perspective. But he identifes them as what? What does it say in the word? Saints. And again, you might read past that word, but I want to unpack that word because that word, although seemingly insignificant, has great importance. That word is used over a hundred times in the Bible. 
Two-thirds of that is in the New Testament. It's one of Paul's most favorite words that he uses to describe believers of, uh, of Christ as saints. The Greek word hagio in our English word saint means to be holy, set apart, and sacred. So see, in Christ, you are this super awesome, holy, and set apart believer who is reserved exclusively, listen to me, exclusively for the amazing work of God. That's what the word says. But see, saint, again in the Greek, we could argue that every religion then during Paul's day and even today has saints by that definition, right? Because they all believe that these people of theirs are holy and sacred and set apart. Any faith could make that claim. But what makes the believers here in the text and what makes us distinct? Well, Paul doesn't leave us without an answer. He doesn't leave us hanging in the text. Paul makes it clear. He makes a distinction. He says, you're not just any old saint of any other faith or belief system. He says, no, you are a saint who is faithful, what? In Christ. He doesn't leave us without distinction. He makes it very clear that our sainthood is rooted firmly in Christ Jesus and none other. So guys, listen, this is the thing. You don't have to wait as a holy, sacred, set-apart, awesome believer in God. You don't have to wait for heaven to be holy. You don't have to wait for heaven to be sanctified. You don't have to wait until heaven to see the fullness of God's glory in your sainthood. A lot of people believe that today. I'll only really see that in heaven but that's not the truth of the Word of God, that you are a saint now. Maybe not as the world might define saint, because a lot of people think a saint, they got a little halo, or they do no wrong. That's not a saint, okay? A biblical saint is as we've just described, but that doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you don't err. That doesn't mean you don't fall and have mistakes. Listen, some of the greatest saints in the Word in Abraham, in Moses, in Paul, the, the, the disciples, the apostles, they were very flawed men. But yet they were saints because they were faithful in Christ. There's over, when we talk about the idea of being a saint and what that means, there's over 50 descriptive words in the text that give us an idea of who we are in this, our identity in Christ. And you can read them throughout the New Testament. From someone who is liberated to sealed on the day of our salvation to someone who is saved and redeemed and so on. There are so many of them, and I won't go into them, but there's one in particular that stands out that I think roots us in so many ways in who we are and our identity. We find that in the text in Galatians. We're going to read that in a second. 
It's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And this mark of our identity in Christ is the mark of adoption. I want to say that again. This powerful identification of who we are is this mark of adoption. I'll read that text for you because I think it's, um, it's a powerful text. Let me grab my, I have it here, bear with me. From Galatians chapter 4, 6 and 7. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. I'm going to let that sit with you for a second. The scripture says you are a son and daughter. You have been adopted into a family. You know, the same way that my daughter-in-law yesterday, as she was leaving my house and getting in the car with my son and we were driving off, in the same way she knew, like, I'm in this family now. I've, I've now left my mother and father's home. And I'm in this house. I now have privileges because of this that I never had before. And I want you to think about this text that I just read you. It says you have been adopted. You don't belong to the family of God. Just by nature, you don't. You are a sinner, wretched, rebellious against God in every way. You don't belong to this holy family of God. I hate to burst your holy Christian bubble, but that's the truth. It's only in Christ and through his blood that you are now invited into Bedav, into the house of the Father, that you are received now and now are blessed with the full privileges of being in that household. But here's the interesting privilege that comes out of this that we glean from this text. You now have the privilege to cry out. See, because before, when you cried out before God, your cries went out into silence. You don't believe me? Read the text. The God does not listen to everyone's prayers, beloved, contrary to popular belief. And there are plenty of scriptures that affirm that thought. But now you have the ability to and the privilege to cry out as an adopted child of God. Now think about that idea of crying out. It is this idea of being loud and public and earnestly seeking and just crying out, just voicing out to God. It's like, um, it's like this deep down need cry that I'm like, Daddy, I need you. Think about how a baby cries out for food or a baby uh, bird cries out to mama with their mouth gaping open, proclaiming their need for sustenance. This is what this text is calling out, that you as a believer in Christ can cry out to God, Abba, Father, I need you, when you didn't have that before. God's love for you and me is expressed in our adoption. And, and 
Abba, guys, it's, it's not a religious, it's not a political term, it's, it's, not a, um, it, it's not a legal term. I know we have some of those in the text, and it's none of that. Abba is a familial term. Abba is a term of family. That See, and we're going to get to the close of this. I'm going to get y'all home. I know we went around the river through the woods, but I'm going to get you home here. We're going to land this message in just a second. You see, because when you have this familialness now, you are in the family of God. You can cry out to him in this way with that familial word, Abba, my daddy, my papa, my father, and cry out and know that he hears you. So how does that, all that that I said today in your sainthood, in your new identity that you have in Christ, that you are all these things, I encourage you to read the text, you know that you're saved and redeemed and you're sealed on the day of your salvation and all of these beautiful and colorful words that are used to describe who you are in Christ. Now that you know that, now that you know that I am in the family of God, I am in his household, I am at his banquet table feasting on a meal that I don't deserve. I've been given new clothing. I am no longer in my rags anymore that he's clothed me with his righteousness and his white robe that he's clean me up, that I did nothing to do it. I did nothing to clean myself up. Now that you know that, why aren't you acting like you know it? And this is the point. See, because when we know, like my son, in knowing who he is, and because he knows who he is, he walks throughout life with a certain level of confidence and impacting what he does. And my daughter-in-law, now knowing her new identity and walking in a certain way, talking in a certain way, living in a certain way, now they know that in you too. Now that you have been reminded or perhaps informed for the first time about who you are or who you could be in Christ, now it's time to act like it. See, because when I know who I am, when I know that, listen, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal one who is God Almighty in Jesus Christ is my Lord. God is my Father, and that is my family. I walk with some authority. You hear me? That when I step into a room, I take dominion and authority over that room and in that space because I know the support that's behind me. See, that's when my son got married because he knows he's at home. He knows the support that he has. And the same thing now that we're married to Christ, we can walk out of the house knowing the support that's behind us. Are y'all getting me today? Are y'all following what I'm saying? Because we're walking out of the house now with some support behind us, with some power in us, right? Because the text says that the Spirit of God is now in us. It says through your adoption, the God gave the Spirit of His Son to live in you. This is what happens. And so it should affect that even when I fall, even when I do wrong, and I've done recently, you know, I've, 
I sinned against my wife and recently and just I was I was abusive and I didn't mean to be and you know and even in that as I call out to God in forgiveness you know and saying harsh words to my wife uh, you know although it stings and it hurts right but I know who my daddy is and I know that he's loving and he's merciful and that he forgives that I can walk up I can stand up in my mess I can dust myself off I can shake it off and move forward not being bound by my mistakes any longer. And that as I talk to people, as I engage in the world, I can let them know about this awesome and glorious God that I serve who every day picks me up and thank him that his grace is made new every day. And I can share that with people that I know. I don't have to be some theologian. I don't have to go to seminary to know that and to share that. And so why aren't we changing here in this church? Why aren't we, and I'm not saying that we're not, it's a rhetorical question, but why aren't we changing here in this church as a whole? Why aren't we changing and impacting our community knowing our new identity in God? We should be, and I think we are here at Emmanuel. I really do. I believe that. I shared with um, a Mike this morning, Mike Whalen, that I, I think that there is a shift in God's spirit being poured upon this assembly. That the prophetic and the words of knowledge and the power of the spirit of God is returning to Emmanuel when we've been absent with it from so long. But I think that's happening in part because we are being reminded through Pastor Daniel's teachings and the teachings of the elders and all that's going on in Emmanuel, we are constantly being reminded of who we are in Christ and being empowered to live a viral and attractive life. I want to read you, as I invite the worship team to come up, um, I want to read you a passage from a book titled Spiritual Formation Is... It's one of the many books that I'm reading right now, and I found this passage um, pretty impactful. It's about our identity. Again, your identity should be solely and entirely in Christ. Not in your job. Not in your success. Excuse me, not in your family. Your identity should be solely fixed and rooted in Christ because, believe it or not, guys, everything else will fade away. Everything. Notice I said your family too. Everything will fade away. But God is forever. He is the rock of the ages. He is the only thing that will last. So I'll read this passage. Again, it's, it's from a book called Spiritual Formation. If you like, take a picture of it and maybe read this. It's a great book. And it reads this. Living out one's spiritual identity is essential for experiencing deep intimacy with God. Walking in real integrity as a Christ follower and fulfilling one's spiritual destiny. It is foundational for living in spiritual and emotional victory and liberty. Your spiritual identity is vital for exercising your authority in Christ. I want to pray for just a moment, and then we're going to 
sing one final song here before we leave. And, of course, as always, the elders will be here up in the front if you need prayer. If you do, please don't leave the sanctuary the same way you came in. Please come up for prayer. Father, I thank you for the beauty that we have in your identity, our identity in your Son. Thank you that you chose us in our mess, in our wretchedness, before time itself, you chose us. Thank you for prompting in our spirits for us to choose you. For were it not for your prompting, we would never know you. Thank you for helping us face every situation as a saint, not a sinner, as a son, not an orphan, as an heir, not a slave, as a victor and not a victim. Thank you, Lord, that we can live out our spiritual identity in relation with you. We don't have to be afraid to come to you. We don't have to be held by the lies and the schemes of the enemy. We know who we are in you. Thank you that that identity leads us into relations with those in the church and even outside the church. That our identity in you helps us to engage the world even in the midst of these uncertain times. Thank you for all the spiritual possibilities that you offer us. But we love you. We bless you, Father. And the people of God say, Amen.